continuing our march through the Bible, our exploration of all things being able to see God's whole story together this year. In fact, if you will, reach for the Bible that you've brought with you or the one that we've provided for you and turn to the fifth book of the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30. And as you are turning there, what I want to invite you into is to see the roadmap of where we've been in the last couple of months. Each month we have divided into a section of scripture to understand kind of what's going on in that portion of the Bible. And so in the month of January, we talked about God's covenant or God's promises that come to us through the book of Genesis. And then we've been talking about this pathway to freedom throughout the month of February. And we come to the edge of that journey, the literal edge. In fact, I want to show you a picture of the edge that the Israelites were on as they were about to enter into the promised land. This is the top of Mount Nebo. This is in modern-day Jordan. I took this picture with a group of people from Peachtree looking into the promised land from the vantage point of how the Israelites would have seen it when they were getting ready to march into this land. And the little map that's up on the screen shows kind of the different places and, and the distances to those places that are there. Now, as we're standing on the precipice with God's people into the promised land, the book of Deuteronomy is mostly a compilation of the speeches of Moses. And I don't want you to miss out on the incredible miracle, the incredible transformation of what has taken place over all of these many decades in the life of Moses. And sometimes when you get to the book of Deuteronomy and you start reading these eloquent speeches of Moses, you forget how it all began. That all the way back in Exodus chapter 4, we recall that at the story of the burning bush, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent. Neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, I am slow of speech and tongue. And so the person who was slow of speech and tongue, probably somebody who stuttered. The great stutterer becomes the great speech giver. And now at the end of his life, he is commissioning God's people as they are about to enter into the promised land. And not only has Moses given great speeches, we attribute to Moses the whole first five books of the Bible. In other words, they were compiled and, and he was the primary spokesperson for what happens in these first five books. Reflecting back in Genesis and telling of the pre-story and then looking ahead into what they are going into into the future. And each of these different books of the Bible has kind of a different theme. Covenant, as we've seen with the book of Genesis. Uh, Exodus, the freedom of God's people. Leviticus, the holiness of God and how he is setting apart his people. And then in the book of Numbers, we see the journey through the wilderness. And the question is, what is the heart of Deuteronomy? And in addition to that, one of the things that I feel like I need to explain to you with these five things up on the screen is what each of these different words mean. Genesis in Greek meaning beginnings, Exodus meaning departure in Greek, Leviticus comes from the name of Levi, the priestly household, the holiness of, of God's people as a priesthood, Numbers, this comes from the census that is commanded at the beginning, and Deuteronomy actually comes from two words, deutero meaning two, 
and nomos meaning law. In other words, this is the second hearing of the law because you must recall that it has been an entire generation lost because God's people were consumed with fear. And so Moses needs to make sure that they hear God's word, God's law, a second time. And that they get to experience, because they weren't at Mount Sinai, God's promises that are given to each and every one of them. At the heart of the book of Deuteronomy is one particular phrase. And in the book of Deuteronomy, it's so famous that Devout Jews say it when they wake up in the morning. They say it when they lie down at night. It is this phrase from Deuteronomy 6. We're going to say this in unison, so say it with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. This is known as the Shema. The Shema comes from the word that's right at the beginning there that says hear. In other words, in Hebrew, the word Shema means to hear, but it also means to obey. Hearing and obeying go together in the Old Testament. In other words, you're not just listening for the sake of listening, you're listening in order to put into action. In other words, you're not just obeying for the sake of compliance, you are obeying because you are listening to the one whose voice you trust. And did you notice in there that the hearing and the obeying connects to the heart of the command that we are to love the Lord our God? Jesus will later pick up on this theme of the connections between loving and obeying when he says in John chapter 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then Jesus will also at the very end when he's restoring Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, of course I love you. And then, P- and then Jesus says, then tend to my flock. Do you love me, Peter? Yes. Then feed my sheep. There is a connection between our hearing and obeying and loving that as Christians today, we seem to have totally lost. And so today, if I had to put a theme on the book of Deuteronomy, it's not just a collection of speeches. It's not just a compilation of hearing the law again. It's on the heart of obedience that you and I are called to embody our love of God by obeying him. Now let me take a little sidebar here and just equip you with one little frame of reference. As you read the book of Deuteronomy this week, the select chapters, one of the things that's a little confusing is all of these different laws and how do we know which one of those are kind of constrained to a particular moment in time, they're culturally conditioned and they don't really apply to us anymore and which ones are we still to keep? For a long time in the reformed family of faith, we have categorized the law into three different kinds of subgroups. Ceremonial laws, civil laws, and moral laws. In other words, there are laws that happen to do with the practice of the faith and the ceremony or the rituals that are there. There were laws that applied to Israel as a nation, and then there are laws that are universal that apply to ethics and morality that are still in force today. 
And so as you read the book of Deuteronomy and you try to sort through, wait, how does this apply? Am I supposed to do this? Am I not supposed to do that? You will be able to do so understanding that we adhere to the moral law and we celebrate that we can move into our culture and our moment in time for the civil law and the ceremonial law. And so now in Deuteronomy, with all of that background, we go to the edge of Mount Nemo, and we hear Moses give this incredible speech. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Moses says, Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you, or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you should have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may what? Obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commandments, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. So that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. If you were to go up to my grandfather and you were to say, would you like a cup of coffee? My grandfather would have likely have said yes. And then if you had followed up with the question, how do you like your coffee? There were not that many options. There was cream and sugar and maybe caffeinated or decaffeinated. And over the decades, God created a beautiful thing called Starbucks. And coffee went from being 15 cents at the diner to $5 a cup. In 2015, Starbucks sent out a press release saying that you can order a cup of coffee 80,000 different ways at a Starbucks. And so the next time that somebody asks you, hey, can I pick you up something from Starbucks, before you do show, you should Google what is the most complicated Starbucks order and give that to your friend just to drive them crazy. In other words, we went from only having a few options to having innumerable options. And in a much more serious way, this is what's about to happen to God's people. 
They've been enslaved for hundreds and hundreds of years. They've been in the wilderness for 40 years. And as you can imagine, when you're a slave and when you're in the wilderness, your options are very narrow. And now they are about to inhabit the freedom that God has designed for them to have. They're about to enter into a land, a land that they're going to get to rule in. And there's already all kinds of existing ways of life and culture in that land. There's the Jebusites and the Amalekites and the Hittites and Every single one of them has different gods and different ways of life and living. And as they get ready to go into this land, they are going to be presented with so many different options that previous generations had never had before. And so on the precipice of that mountain, Moses knows that they're going to be faced with a lot of choices. And what he wants to do is to hone their focus on the most important choice of all. Are they going to choose blessing or are they going to choose cursing? Are they going to choose life or are they going to choose death? And so the way that Moses describes it is in kind of like this. First, that they are going to choose obedience to the word over obedience to the world. Moses is very clear in telling them that what he is instructing them to do is not too difficult. It is not too far away for them to be able to hear it and obey it. In other words, he describes the word of God, the law of God, the instructions of God to be on their lips and in their heart. I remember when I was in college and I remember there was a friend who was in his dorm room and I noticed that he had a, a stack of flashcards on his desk and while I was waiting for him uh, to finish getting ready and we were about to go to the dining hall together, I kind of picked up his stack of flashcards and I said, what are you studying? Are you studying math? Are you studying vocabulary for a foreign language? What do you got here? And picked up this stack of vocabulary looking cards and what I realized is on one side there was a scripture verse and on the other side there was a scripture citation. And I had never been in the presence of somebody who was intentionally studying and memorizing scripture in this way. And so as we had that meal together, I asked him, why, why do you do that? And he talked about hiding God's word in his heart and wanting to have God's word near to him on his lips and that he knew in college with all of the choices that he was facing that he needed to keep that word right near to his heart not just words on a page but words that we remember and keep near and savor and cherish. Is your life any different from that college student's in terms of your choices? And is God's word the kind of thing that lives more on a shelf 
in a book than it is in your heart and in your mind? And if so, we have a tendency to obey the world because we know it better than we do the word. Choose life by obeying the word. The second choice that we have is to choose obedience to the Lord over obedience to other gods. The way that Moses describes what happens here is not just in transactional terms in the sense of that, you know, that you're just obeying random rules, like the rules of the road. No, it's more personal. He's like, don't turn away. Don't walk away. Love God. Listen to God. Hold fast to God. This is the way that Moses describes our relationship with God in the law. In other words, when you and I break a law, we don't just break a rule, we break God's heart. And that you and I are called to adhere not just to an impersonal set of laws, but that by when we obey, we draw near to the very heart of God himself. When I am having conversations with people who don't believe in God anymore. One of my favorite questions to ask is, whom do you serve, whom do you obey, whom do you follow? And they're like, that's the most ridiculous question in the world. I follow myself. I'm like, like a tail and a dog chasing itself? And they're like, no, 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 I, 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 don't, I don't obey anybody. I just obey myself. So I said, wait, you're obedient to your own desires? That's the one that you obey? And I love to use the scripture that Jesus says when he says, no one can serve two masters, for you will either hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and you will despise the other. Let me be clear. You are obeying some sort of God, whether you call it a God or not. whether you say you're a person of faith or not. Everybody is obeying something or someone. And the choice that we have for life is to obey the living God and not all the false gods. And the third way that Moses describes it is that we have to choose obedience to life over obedience to that of the way of destruction. This is the best way to live, Moses is saying. I have a friend who grew up in a very rigid and inflexible Christian kind of religious environment. And when he started to get through the end of college, he threw all of those constraints away. And what was interesting is to watch him later in life come back and recently tell me, that you know the greatest things in life are when we are willing to make commitments. In other words, we don't think of freedom as the freedom of all constraints. True freedom is being able to live within constraints. And the best life that you can have is in the security of the laws that God has given to you. God has not given us the laws that we read about in the moral aspect of the Old Testament. God has not given us these laws because he's a killjoy and he doesn't want you to have any fun. No, he gives you these laws as the constraints in, in the way that you best can flourish. I love the phrase that Andy Stanley says when he asks somebody, is that really making your life better or is it just making your life more complicated? 
In other words, when you live a life of greed or unbridled desire, does that really make your life better to be able to buy what you want whenever you want at any time you want? Or is that just making your life more complicated? If you were living a life of anger and using that anger to feel stronger about yourself and manipulate the people around you, is that really making your life better or is it just making your life more complicated? When you think about lust and pornography and adultery, do those things really make your life better or do they just make your life more complicated? You could say the same things for pride and for envy and for any of the other ways that we deviate from God's best for our life. My friends, these constraints, these laws are given to us so that we can flourish. And yet we tend to think that we don't want any constraints at all. That's no way to live, my friends. This is a picture of the late pastor Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson, at the age of 35, rekindled his life of running, and he picked picked up some new running shoes, and he started running a few miles every other day, and then he started running more and more miles, and then he started running in 5K races, and then he started running in in 10K races, and then he became obsessed with other aspects of running, of, of the clothes and the routes and the techniques, and before you know it, he has subscribed to like three or four different you know, running magazines, and those running magazines would be all over the house, and he would read all of those different running magazines, and then all of a sudden one day, Eugene Peterson pulls a muscle, and he is on the shelf for three months. And he says what he noticed, that when he wasn't running, all of those running magazines just got pushed to the corner, and they would come into the mail, and he wouldn't read any of them. And what he discovered is, is that if he wasn't actually doing the running, he had no interest in learning about running at all. That it was in the hearing and the doing that it made sense to him and was a passion for him. And so Eugene Peterson wrote this. He said, the most important question isn't when we're reading the Bible, what does this mean? But what can I obey? Simple obedience will open up our lives to a text more quickly than any number of Bible studies, dictionaries, and concordances. When you read the Bible, as you've been going on this quest journey with us, are you just asking the question, what does this mean? If you are, you're asking an inadequate question. It's good to understand what it means. But we have to, when we come to the book of Deuteronomy, take it that natural, logical, faithful step further to not just read this to say, oh, that's what it means, but what am I called to obey? As you read the good book, you ought to read it with an eye towards God, what must I do? If there's anything that Presbyterians have been accused of. It's that we are a people who are educated beyond our level of discipleship. In other words, our knowledge is greater than our obedience. And so if you and I are not careful, 
we know more about God than we do our willingness to serve God and love God and walk with God and be with God. Let me close with this. Earlier this week in this very room, we held a funeral for a member of this church by the name of Shannon Walker. Shannon was just 50 years young when he was promoted to the church triumphant. And it was very sudden. Shannon had a beautiful simplicity about him. He was often a salesman, and one time he was um, in sales for air conditioners, and every once in a while he would sit down in somebody's home and somebody would ask him an overly technical question, to which Shannon would usually reply, you know, I'm not so sure about that, but it sure is hot in here. <laughs> Shannon had an incredible ability to get you back on track to why you were really there. And what you need to know as his pastor is that when the family came to visit me and they handed me his Bible, there were notes, there were underlines, there were exclamation points, there were question marks throughout the whole thing. And I got to sit there as we shared as a family of faith and see the promises of God that he held fast to, the things that he needed to work on. And you could see it. When we invite the children in fourth grade to come and stand on these steps, we quote the old phrase by Francis Schaeffer that Vic said year after year, Bibles that are falling apart belong to people who are not. And we remind them that God's word is not something to just be in a book, it's to be in here and in here. Are you living your life that way? The heart of the second hearing from the edge of the precipice of getting into the promised land with all of those choices is obedience. And we live with more choices today than any other society in history. And the question for us is, will we obey? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we have a Savior and that even in the midst of our disobedience, you love us and forgive us and hold fast to us, even when we fail to hold fast to you. Lord, will you transform our lives in the same way that you changed a stutterer into a speech giver, to make us fluent in the ways and the words that you have given to us. Lord, we may need not only second hearings, but third hearings and fourth hearings so that our generation may not be lost. Help us to remember that our hearing and our obeying and our loving all go hand in hand. And so God, 
impress upon us that amidst all the choices of life, that what you were calling us to do is not too hard, not too far. It's near to us. And so may we commit your word to our hearts. May we not turn away from it or walk away from you, but that we will listen to you and hold fast to you and love you. And so we thank you that these are not just a bunch of random rules, but an invitation into a relationship. The one supreme person that we can follow that invites us into life, to prosperity and to blessing. And so take us into the greatest freedom that is found even in constraints, in our commitments to you and you to us, that our lives will not just be more complicated, but that they will be better and that we will run the race of obedience and discipleship that you have set before us. And we pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people said.